Welcome to Kingdom in Context. The Creator never intended for us to be confused by His words. He gave us His words of life, and He gave them in context, to be understood and beneficial to our walk with Him. This channel's goal is to bring clarity to some of the misconceptions that have formed over time among believers and taught by others, however innocent and well intended. The scriptures make complete sense when we keep them in context of His coming kingdom and His coming King, Jesus the Messiah. If you're blessed by what we're doing with this channel and feel led to support us, visit the video description below where we have a PayPal option, a monthly Patreon option, or a traditional P.O. Box address. Thank you, and remember, context creates comprehension. Welcome fellow brave believers. This is Kingdom Cast. I'm Sean Griffin, and you're watching this on Kingdom in Context. I really appreciate you being here. And uh, we want to thank everyone for this. Join us tonight on a Thursday. For some of you, you're celebrating the Day of Atonement. Depends on if you're keeping uh, the Zadok calendar and others, you've already, you're getting ready for Sukkot. It's about to happen. So um, either way, we hope that you have a great day of rest. And hopefully tonight will be edifying, something for you to chew on. We'll get to discuss with scriptures. And I just real quick want to say hello to the chat. We have uh, several people already in the chat. Uh, looks like they're ready for the show. D Love, Gavin Miller, Master Soup, Paul Levi, Earl Rogers, Cover to Cover with Jeremy Pierce, Katrina Sepiogos. Sepiogos. I think I think I said that right. Sorry, sister, if I messed it up. Uh, Ancient Ways, Modern Man, Stephen Schofield, Fred Morgan, Lee Button, Sharon Small, Mary, Mary W., Howard Sanford. Welcome, everyone. Tribune Kenobi, Gilbert Miranda, Maxim Lavrov, Mary W. James 122 is back. Mr. Bear is back. Welcome, everybody, guys. Brooke Penny, Latoya Christie, Ms. Marsh is back. The Lion with Dennis, and Sean M., David Shearer. Welcome, everyone. Really appreciate you guys being here. All the, uh, the moderators and admins, really appreciate you being here tonight um, to, to help keep the chat you know, locked down, make sure everyone behaves themselves. Uh, Elias Stewart's here again, Daughter714, and Joy Trillo. All right. Good to see everybody. Good to see everyone. Guys, as you probably saw and noticed from the thumbnail, um, I'm going to be joined tonight by a guest, and we're going to be talking about the second exodus. And he ha he shares a different view than I do about the second exodus. Um, and we, he's going to you know lay out his, his ideas on the scriptures on why he believes there's a physical land-based second exodus. Uh, whereas you've probably heard us talk about this in scripture, we we cover the idea in the in the essence of it's an act. It's actually the terminology and the scriptures are actually referring to the first resurrection. So we're going to discuss our differences and points of view tonight. And uh, to us, we love this kind of stuff. This is where we get to sharpen. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce everyone. This is Mr. Mark Purdue. Welcome, Mark. How you doing? And I apologize to everybody that I'm looking in this direction. I've got health issues, and that's why this is the only way I can really sit down right now. So, uh, well, I appreciate you uh, enduring through to, to speak with me tonight. So, um, but yeah, brother. So basically, most people have seen my channel. We've done uh, several different videos on the concept of the second exodus, just trying to present our understanding that it's um, it's not a gathering of people before the return of the Messiah, but we put forward 
through the scriptures we presented that it's an actual gathering through the resurrection that happens on the day of the Lord at the, at the last trumpet, which would be the seventh trumpet of Revelation. Um, but you have a different take, is that right? Well, no, they'll realize, see, the biggest problem when people are looking at things on Exodus is they don't realize that there are multiple groups. And if I were to count them up, there's a total of six different groups. And that's really what confuses most people. The first resurrection is absolutely one of the ways into the kingdom. However, it is not the majority. Majority of people will not be coming in from the first resurrection. And I, I know many people have this belief that this is the only way in is this first resurrection. But to do that, let's kind of hit a couple topics and I very quickly and that, that will move things forward. Because I think we both would agree that Matthew 22, when the Messiah talks about um, the marriage at the resurrection, he says, listen, you're confused because they're not married or given in marriage with a resurrected body. And, you know, you I know you follow Enoch and know you're not going to be having sex in a resurrected body. Okay. Yeah, I'll put this on screen for us to, as we talk about it, sure. uh, folks can read along as well. This is that, what we, we love to do. 23 through... Oh, let's say it's two thirty-one. It's the Sadducees are asking Yeshua about, you know, this this woman who had seven husbands, and then once all seven husbands plus the woman is dead at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And as you already said, Yeshua has to explain that there's no there's no marriage at the resurrection because they'll be like the angels in heaven, which infers the idea they're not married. They're, we're not going to be procreating and taking wives or husbands at the resurrection. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so that causes some issues. Um, and again, the act of trying to get somebody pregnant would make you unclean. And we know a resurrected body, they're not going to be able to sin in that. I would argue they probably also can't be unclean. And again, the sex issue would kind of validate that. I'm not saying I'm right. That's just my opinion that they couldn't get unclean either. So the, the real issues come in. Well, we, I think we see a precedent in Scripture that the rebellious angels who came from heaven, as Enoch 15 talks about, and took wives, it says they defiled themselves with the blood of women. Exactly. exactly. And, and specifically in the context of taking a wife. And so, exactly. I mean, and of course, in Torah, we have the cleanliness laws in Leviticus 13 through 15. Um, and there are ones pertaining to, to conjugation. Exactly. So, yeah. So the, the issue there comes because of that. If we're only going to believe in the first resurrection, then we have to do some changes to the Bible. In what way? Okay. The book of Obadiah has not happened yet. It must happen. It cannot happen during the millennial reign. Therefore, it's got to happen before the Messiah returns. Nahum has not happened before. It will happen. It cannot happen during the millennial reign. It has to happen. Joel has not happened before. It will happen. It cannot happen after the Messiah comes because, again, there's no war. We have to look at Jeremiah chapter 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, and 52, which talk about the path that we go during the Exodus. Okay. Well, let, can, do, you mind if I, do you mind if I slow us down a little sure. bit for the viewer's sure. sake? Because when you mention seven to eight different broad chapters, a lot of the viewers may not have those chapters. They may not have any familiarity with what you're talking about in those chapters. Sure, no so. Problem just to help them keep and follow along. Is there a specific chapter that you wanted to, to reference? You talked about the, all of the concerning the path. Okay, Every you, part of those chapters talks about the path we take. Okay. So let's run to one of them. Do you want to go to okay. Jeremiah 46? Is that the one you mentioned? Uh, that's where it starts in Egypt. Okay. Yeah, sure. I, I, we can go there. Sure. 
Let's look at what you're saying. I'll pull this up for us here. So this is a defeat of Pharaoh. That's being mentioned here, Pharaoh Necho. This was in the days of Zedekiah, uh, king of Judah. Also during the days of Nebuchadnezzar, about to invade the southern kingdom. This is approximately the turn of the sixth, 7th to 6th century BC. Mm -hmm. is, is this what you were thinking of? Correct. Okay. And if you look at verses 27 and 28. Okay, so we're going to run down into the end of the chapter. Yeah. And then, okay, so with verse 13, on the way uh, down, it says this is to Nebuchadnezzar. No, 27 and 28. Now, again, it's starting out about what happens in Egypt. Okay. Then so, 27 and 28, it's talking about that, you know, we will be punished. Jacob, Israel is being punished, but he will bring us out of it. Um, he's not going to completely destroy it. And this is 28. I will discipline you, but only in due measure. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. Um, and again, in verse 27, do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of exile. Jacob will again have peace and security. Peace and security is talking about a millennial reign where there is peace and security. And no one will make him afraid. Which, so, which, uh, which translation are you reading out of, brother? Uh, right now, I just look at the NIV. But again, I okay. just I go from... I don't make a big deal of it. I'm just curious because whatever you're reading, it's, it's, it's a little different from mine. So I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. I realize every single one of these... I never just look at the NIV. Then I go, if it's Old Testament, I'll go to the Greek Septuagint, see if there's any other differences. Then I go to the interlinear and look at the actual words. So okay. the NIV is just an easy read for me. It's probably by far the most inaccurate. And so you're suggesting verse 27, when it does talk about Jacob returning, being undisturbed and secure with no one to make him tremble, mm -hmm. that this is the millennial reign. no. It's, that, it's right before the millennial reign, because once you get into the millennial reign, you have peace and security because there's no war during the millennial reign. OK, but you're you're saying that the context when the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, behold, I'm going to punish Ammon of Thebes of Pharaoh and Egypt, along with their gods and their kings, even Pharaoh and those who trust in him. And I shall give them over to the power of those who are seeking their lives, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And this is historical validated fact, right, that Nebuchadnezzar invaded all the regions of the Middle East, including Egypt during this day. In fact, you probably know this, but there's actual temples of Egypt that are still standing as destroyed temples from the invasion of Nebuchadnezzar that long ago. And so you're saying that this initial thrust, this prophecy that Jeremiah is giving here, uh, which is actually a few years before the before Judah's been invaded, mm -hmm. you're saying that is talk is leading into verse 27 to talk about a regathering before the return of Messiah, the second coming. Yes, because he's bringing these out of a different place, saving us um, from the land of exile where we've been. This is Jacob, okay. all the tribes coming back. So you, how, where where in these these verses here, because you also mentioned 28, to make an, a full end of all the nations where I've driven you. Where is this saying that before the Messiah returns, that this is going to be a regathering to a place? Because... The whole point of the full the full end of all the nations, that's the moment where Yeshua literally comes back with the angels. Okay, and I'll get to that. Because okay. we're going to go back to Torah for that, to find that. Well, actually, okay. So, but, all right, so this is a little bit different hermeneutic than what we normally, you know, what you've probably normally seen me do, where we try to look at some of the context of the passage itself. 
mm-hmm. where something's being mentioned, because if we if we impose an idea that the, the passage itself does not say, that turns into what's called eisegesis. Okay. Right? Is that right? I don't use names, so go ahead. I'm fine with it. Well, I'm just want to make sure I'm following what you're saying. So that- if I have a belief, I impose my belief on the verses. I got that. Okay. All right. So you're you're saying you think that this passage is talking specifically about a gathering before the second coming of Messiah. And well, this is starting where we go. This is this is Deuteronomy 28. This is where we start. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm following I'm following your uh, your right. hypothesis here. And so we go to 47, and we start going uh, Philistines. That will happen as we go to Mount Sinai. Um, then we hit uh, 48. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you okay? So you you just said this this prophecy against Philistia is going to happen when we the resur- the returning non resurrected is what your is what your thesis is mm-hmm. non non resurrected saints are gathered from all over the world. I'm just I'm just guessing you're including the idea of Deuteronomy 30 verse four right where everywhere under the heavens where I've I've scattered you. He's yeah, gonna- absolutely okay. So you're including that ideology. Which we would say is directly talking about the first resurrection because of the, of the promises of the circumcised heart being given to those people that are scattered under the heaven. But you're saying, no, that's not it. It's actually before the resurrection and they're coming through Philistia, which will then be what? They're coming through Philistia. They come through the Sinai desert just like they did before. But so people from China, people from just like what happened in the Torah on the first Exodus. Remember Dude. the attack before they got to Mount Sinai? Absolutely. I'm just trying to get the logistics here so the people listening can follow what you're saying. Because um, because they've probably heard me talk about this in great detail. But So you're saying everywhere from under the, as Deuteronomy 31st 4 says, everyone from under the heaven, where everyone's mm-hmm. been scattered, they will be gathered. And you're saying that gathering is a physical land-based travel. It's not Matthew no. 30, 13, 30. It's, a, it's an earth-based travel. Isaiah 11 will actually identify... Um, some issues, and it'll expand upon Deuteronomy twenty-eight sixty-eight of where we go. Well, just for the sake of what you were just saying here, because you talked about coming through Sinai, um, we, we can go to those verses too. I hope to. I hope to. Um, but I just want to make sure I'm hearing you right. So you're saying people from Siberia, from Japan, from China, from Indonesia, from Australia, believers everywhere east of Jerusalem are going to be gathered across Saudi Arabia, across Iran, to get to the point of Egypt and then be brought back across the Egyptian peninsula and the tongue of Egypt, which is the brook of Egypt, the Nile. Is that what you're saying? No, it's not the brook of Egypt. Um, it's not, in other words, it's not the Nile. And that's actually a completely different thing. So we can leave that because that'll just, that'll go off into a rabbit hole. Um, well, I'm, I haven't been able, well, I guess what I'm, I'm at it. A, I'm struggling to follow you then because I, I'm trying to make sense of what you're describing to me that, this is where we go to Sinai, and I'm just trying to say if this is if this is what you're saying is the gathering of all believers from all across the the plane of the earth, mm-hmm. from all continents where people dwell, and this is before they're resurrected and re- and removed from those territories by the angels, which is what we put forward through Matthew thirteen thirty and a whole bunch of other verses. You're saying yeah. they're being brought forward across the land to a centralized location and then taken to Mount Sinai. They're actually the wording is actually let's let's go to Deuteronomy twenty eight sixty eight. That may make things easier. Okay. And again, 
I'm assuming at this point in time, you've already went through Deuteronomy 30 or going home verses repeatedly. So I'm assuming that most people have already heard that issue. Well, yeah, we, we explain those, you know, especially Deuteronomy 30 verse one through eight. Um, you're, you're having a, a systematic breakdown of the resurrection leading unto your new incorruptible body with his laws written on your heart, um, mm -hmm. bringing you back into a place uh, eternally, keeping his commands again. Let me so ask you one question. That only happens at the resurrection. That is what's promised in Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. Um, okay. Let me ask you one question from that on Deuteronomy 30. Okay. It's also to our descendants. How do you have descendants if you're a resurrected body? Well, my grandfather... Um, was a believer, staunch believer all of his life as a pastor for you know almost 50 something years. And if I die before the resurrection happens, he and his descendant, me, will be brought back in the resurrection. Uh, he would come back if he comes back, he would come back in the second resurrection. The first resurrection well, is only for those who died during the time of the great tribulation, who are beheaded for failure to, or for refusal of the mark of the beast, and who keep the words of the Torah and the Messiah. Right. I, that that's another place of disagreement you now would have as far as the qualifiers of the first resurrection. So, okay. I'm just getting a, getting a baseline for, you okay. know, helping the viewer see exactly where we might be disagreeing on the definitions of these terms. So yes, this is where I would say a hundred percent, anyone that's being brought back from the ends of the earth, everywhere from underneath the ferment where they've been scattered, they're going to have a circumcised heart and the hearts of their descendants so that they may live. And that is a reference in the, in the Torah, to your eternal life that's your promise through the covenant promise. Okay. Um, but again, you just we just agreed at the beginning of this, a resurrected body, they're not having children. So where are those children coming from? Again, I didn't say they were having children. This the whole point of this is that you know you would have it's it's the fundamental concept of why you know Yahweh is asking Abraham to circumcise children born, male children born in Israel, of Israel on the eighth day, um, and to teach them, Deuteronomy 6, 9 through, uh, 6 through 9, to teach them the law of the Lord as they grow up and as they walk, and from parent to child, so that their children perpetuate the covenant behavior. So this is, that means father and child generationally are going to die and both need resurrection. So therefore, this is the promise to you and all your generations perpetually, just like all the other Torah commands. So that's it's not about them procreating after the resurrection. It's simply the promise of the initial covenant to Abraham is that you'll be a father of many generations. That inherently includes children being born. Okay. So let's 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 issue or deal with that issue quickly. Or we go. I'm jumping all around. Let's deal with Deuteronomy twenty-eight sixty-eight first. Okay. And then I'll come back to that issue. Okay, brother. What would you like to say about this verse? 68 is the last verse in the curses. Mm -hmm. okay. Where do we go? How do we get there? Okay, so this is this is you thinking that this verse is speaking about a return at the time immediately preceding the second coming of Christ. Correct. Okay. And so you know that this actually happened this concept here you think that we've already been you think that we've been on airplanes before well who's the you in here what's the, you know what or, is the you're saying this already happened no i'm saying there's been multiple regatherings of israel bef between when moses spoke this and today okay so i'm i'm not i don't i'm not a big proponent of the whole you know modern day state of israel being the actual you know fulfillment of prophecy but there has been multiple regatherings from their multiple scatterings uh, you know, from starting with the Northern house, the Southern house, and then they both came back in piecemeal over time. 
So you're saying though, this has to, in your understanding, you think this has to be right before the coming of the Lord. Well, I can show you the full timeline as we go through Revelation 12. I mean, that's just easy, but I just want to get you there. See, the if you look this, and then we look at the Greek Septuagint in Isaiah 11. Okay, let's we'll go to Isaiah 11. But what's the context of this verse, brother? Of the Greek the no, no, no. The, the passage in Deuteronomy 28 that you're referring to. Deuteronomy 28 says we go back to Israel um, on a path he said we'd never have to do again, and we go by ship. Now, ship is not a defined term. It's not a boat. Ship is a method of travel. And Isaiah 11, it's been deleted in our current Bible. And it's only in the Greek Septuagint. And so the first thing to do when we start looking at the Greek Septuagint is we've got to make sure it's talking about that regathering. Real quick, we I think we're you and I are very misunderstood on what this passage actually says. So you're you're claiming this is a regathering of believers back to Israel. No, no. We don't go into the promised land until just before Armageddon. We don't well, go back. Wait, wait, let's not get caught bogged down in semantics. I'm saying is okay, so the the same the same this is the whole premise of why the theory is called the second exodus, is because people are coming from you know, a, a similar path from Egypt into the land of promise. So that's what I was generically referring to as Israel. So it's this land of promise. It is what's promised to Abraham in Genesis 15. It's between the Euphrates and the Nile. Um, and so what I'm getting at, though, is you're assuming that this verse is speaking about believers being brought from all over the earth into the promised land area, geographical area. But area. that's, yeah, but the Lord is actually saying right here that, that the Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships by the way which I spoke to you. You'll never see it again. And now you're leaving off yourselves to your enemies for male and female slaves. So no, why, no, no. no, I'm going to deal with that because that's in Isaiah 11 in the Greek Septuagint. Okay, but what I'm saying here, brother, this is a prophecy about them going into captivity. This actually happened just previously what we read about when Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah 46 through 48 comes in and evades the southern kingdom of Judah and sells many of them off. They get sent to Egypt back into slavery from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And there's a huge community in Egypt for the next three, four hundred years. They literally built two different temples in Elephantine Island and also in um, Northwest and Heliopolis area. Um, this is this has happened, brother. This has been documented to happen. Like the the temple in Heliopolis was actually from Onias the uh, third. His son was persecuted by uh, the Pharisees, and he actually went to that temple. It was it was commissioned by Ptolemy. It's not happened yet, but look, again, we'll go back to if can you pull up uh, in the Greek Septuagint, and if you can, I can pull it up. Isaiah chapter eleven. Sure, sure. Okay, and you want to which verse in chapter eleven? We're going to start with verse eleven just to make sure they're talking about the same thing, because I don't want to add stuff to where it shouldn't be. Sure, let's my computer's. Run a little bit slow. Tell me what you got or not. One second. It's, I don't know why it's running so slow. Um, here we go. All right. So we'll go to the Septuagint. And it's the only one available online through these, some of these uh, softwares. It's the Brenton Septuagint. So verse 11 here. I'm going to highlight it for us. I pull mine up from Bible study tools. So just, you know, cool. You know. 
It shall be in that day the Lord shall again show his hand to be zealous for the remnant that is left of his people, which shall be left by the Assyrians, and that from Egypt, and from the country of Babylon, and from Ethiopia, and from the Elamites, and from the rising of the sun, and out of Arabia. Could be, but we need a lot more information. So let's go to verse 12. So he lifts up a standard for the nations. He shall gather the lost ones of Israel. He shall gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Amen. So he's bringing back from four corners of the earth, which isn't Babylon, which you've indicated before. That's when they went to Egypt, because this is saying from the four corners of the earth, he's bringing back Israel. In other words, northern tribes and Judah, southern tribes. Let's take a look at verse 13. Let's make sure we're talking about the same thing. Okay, and then the envy of Ephraim shall be taken away, and the enemies of Judah shall perish. Ephraim shall not envy Judah. Judah shall not envy, shall not afflict Ephraim. Okay, so all the nations, all the 12 tribes are back together here. And cool. the first verse, or the first sentence on this, we'll, we'll go through the rest of it, in verse 14, what's it saying there? Okay, they said they shall fly in the ships of the Philistines. What they shall ship flies? What's that? What ship flies? So if you're, I mean, if you're just trying to say this is a, a prophecy for airplanes. Well, it would be an airplane, a blimp or a helicopter. Those are the only things that fly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have a, a problem um, with that, though, uh, if you're trying to make a, an, an inference that this is referring to. Um, well, I'm going to get to those. We'll, we'll get modern to day technology. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we talk about. You know, after the first resurrection, you have the day of the Lord where Isaiah 66 and other places, there are all the, this is Matthew 25, 31, all the nations of the earth, the survivors of the day of the Lord, they are regathered to the Jerusalem for the sheep and goats judgment. They have to be. Gotcha. So they're going to, and it says they come and, you know, mules and camels and carriages. And it says they're brought from all over the, from all the distant islands and coastlands of everyone who, not even, even the people that have never heard of the fame or the name of Yahweh. They're all brought to stand judgment before Yeshua for the Matthew sheep and goats judgment. Okay. And then, so second part of this from verse 14. So in addition to a ship that flies, they shall at okay. the same time spoil the sea. So in other words, we go back by boat or by plane. We go back where? To Egypt. You're trying to, you're trying to connect this Deuteronomy 28, and, and the next verse is going to deal with the very last, the very, point you made at the very at the end of Deuteronomy 2868. Okay, so yes, I agree with this next verse. We we actually talk about this. This is a, a part of the the major destruction of the entire landmass that happens in that entire region because the whole thing has to be leveled out for the city to set down. This is the this is that why that land area promise. It's why Nahum 1:4 uh, a whole bunch of other places Isaiah chapter 40 verse 2 through 5 the mountains fall into the sea. You know, this major earthquake that's happening where the land is flattened out for the major 1,500-mile square New Jerusalem to set down. You're talking about the new heaven and new earth. It's actually 1776.8 miles in each direction. But, again, so verse 15, the Lord shall make desolate the sea of Egypt, and he shall lay his hand on the river with a strong wind, and he shall smite the seven channels so that men shall pass through it dry shod. Yes. Yes. And then in verse 16, and there shall be a passage for my, my people to Israel. And they, when the, they, he came forth out of the land of Egypt, it's referencing the first Exodus there. So let's deal with, I think, the easiest one to deal with, and that's a kind of a timeline issue. And it's going to mention both the Exodus and the first resurrection. 
and realize the Messiah talked about the, the Exodus and the first resurrection too. Now, before I can get there, let's also deal with Matthew 24, 15, and 16. You want to go to Matthew 24 right now? Yeah, please. And that way, when I go before we before we move on, brother, respectfully, let me ask you what what did you think we were just reading just then? We got this on screen here. Yeah, could you give us a summary a summary of what you think this is actually saying, according to your your? We have to go back to Egypt. The Nile River is going to dry up. We've got the two witnesses that are on Earth at that time that can add any plague they want to. The Egyptians are going to lose it when the Nile River dries up. The the, the it's called the tongue of it. If you pull it up on interlinear and stuff, it's called the tongue of the Nile River. Um, so the Delta area will dry up and okay. they'll try to sell us the slaves, but nobody wants us because we're a walking plague. Just well, let me, like let me ask you. Ark of the Covenant, when it was given, you know, when they took it to the Philistines and they brought it back because they were getting plagued. Nobody wants us at that point. Okay. I see. I think I see where you're coming from. All right. So, so let me ask you this. Sure. If if you're making a differentiation between what you can, what you think these verses is referring to as a second exodus, and then an actual first resurrection, you say these are two different events, and that the second exodus happens first. We're gathered back to Egypt, and we're brought into the land of promise, according to what you think as the end of Isaiah 11 is saying. Then later there's a first resurrection, but you don't think it right. includes all believers at that time who are alive from that time back to Adam. You think it's just people that pers are persecuted during the time of tribulation. Correct. Okay, that's so Matthew. therefore... I, or sorry, that's Revelation. Oh, I'm familiar. Revelation 6, 9 through 11, no, Exodus, no. Revelation 24 no. through 6 as well. Right. Well, I'm, I just want to make sure I follow. Before we get too deep into the further okay. down the trail, I just want to make sure I'm following the, the premise here. And so my, my question before we get too deep is, if all the believers are gathered according to how you are interpreting these verses, you, if all the believers are already gathered to Israel. They're not all of them. So now it's just a select crew. It's the vast majority will be going on the greater Exodus, but that's not the entire thing. That's in Revelation 2 and 3 as it talks to the, about the churches. It's going to talk about how you get into the first resurrection. It's going to talk about those who don't know about the greater Exodus and are left behind. And it's going to talk about those who go through the greater Exodus. It's actually more talking about um, whether you're in a congregation or not. Um, I don't even think I've got that up here right now. Um, but Revelation 3 are those who don't know about the greater Exodus and are left behind. And see, the okay, problem, let, me, let me pause you real quick. I, there's something I, something I really struggle with here on my channel, brother, and this is nothing, this is not against you, but this is, this is just a, a way of presenting information so that the people listening can follow. To, to mention something like you just said as a huge statement of theology and then just to skip over it and run to another chapter without reviewing the text, that's that's not what I do on this channel. So let me I'll let you lead me. OK, according to your to your understanding, I'll let you lead me to Revelation three. And you just said Revelation three covers the idea of people that don't know about the second axis and it, it is talking about them. Can you tell me which verse that you get that from? Sure. Verse three. But it's in, again the church of Sardis. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come to you. So now Yeshua is actually involved in coming to grab people in the second exodus. No, an angel comes to get us. We don't go by ourselves. An angel comes to get us. That's Torah. Okay. 
So I'm just trying to make sure I understand. So you're applying this concept to think that it's speaking about a, a secret second Exodus. Well, I don't call it secret. It's just but if everybody doesn't know about it, I mean, because what I'm what I'm getting at from you is that people want to be in the second Exodus. Is that correct? There is a great reward if you are in the first resurrection. That's a greater reward than going through the first Exodus. But the problem is you have to survive the first before. Hey, you brother, can- I'm so sorry. Okay, whatever you're saying right now, if you can hear me, your your feed is cutting out. You've, you've paused. I can't hear your words anymore. Uh, let's see. I don't know. I haven't hit mute. And okay. Un- you, you came, you came back now. It seems to be a little more fluid. No, it's just the stream. It depends on your uh, internet bandwidth basically, but um, okay. So whatever your last three or four sentences were, if you would, if you would try to you remember those and say them again to help me understand where you're coming from. Um, if you are in the first resurrection, you have a greater blessing because you have a resurrected body and you get to reign with the Messiah for a thousand years. So you have an incredible blessing. But the problem is you're rolling the dice that you're going to make it because you don't get to be beheaded until after the trumpet judgments, which means the fourth horseman has killed 25 percent of the earth. And then you've got the, one of the trumpets is killing 33%, those combined are at least half the earth. And so you're rolling the dice to say, I'll be in the half that lives. Now, yeah, and, and it, that's it, your, respectfully, that's your interpretation. Of okay. both. What about Revelation 14? Let's look at verse Revelation 14. Because okay. uh, just, just as a point of note, sure. just, just to let you know, all due respect, your interpretation of Revelation 3, I did not follow that. Okay, and that, that the words specifically do not say what you uh, concluded of what you think it's saying and what it's talking about. So yeah. this is where I this is where I struggle with this type of interpretation, because it's it's uh, it sounds and feels like a lot of what's called eisegesis, where it means that the, the, the statements themselves don't literally have the words that you say it's talking about. So then, therefore, you it requires someone to explain it to you, and you can't just learn it on your own. So this is where I struggle with this type of eisegesis, this type of interpretive um, revealing constantly based because basically what it turns into is people that disagree with this interpretation. Then it starts to be, well, it's not been revealed to you. And that's not how, how scripture works. That's it's basically, you know, it's, it's, it's not plainly spoken and we're expounded upon in multiple different witnesses from different prophets in, in coherent, clearly worded concepts. The prophets didn't speak you know, just tons and tons of riddles and require them alone to be the only one to interpret these things. They gave clearly worded prophecy. And in fact, we'll go to Isaiah 26, 27 in a minute, because I do want to address what you think is the timing of the first resurrection and all the qualifiers that are in it, because I, I think you might struggle. Well, I'm here in Revelation 14. This is what this is where our next destination oh, was. Okay, go ahead, brother. Oh, then I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, is the spirit. They will rest for their, from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Okay, what verse are you reading? Verse 13. Okay, so you're right here. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you're, and you're, you're equating this to... Um, start of when they can be beheaded. Okay, and, and that somehow gives credence for you to say, only those who are beheaded take part in the first resurrection. No, Revelation 24 says that. 20 verse 4? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, it says they take part in the first resurrection. This is a famous passage a lot of people try to use, but it says, blessed are those who take part in the first resurrection, right? It's actually down here in uh, verse six. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But yet we also have the concept of the first resurrection itself being mentioned by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-16, where he, he informs us that those who are asleep will not, or those who are still alive will not precede those who are asleep. So it says the both the dead and Christ and those who are alive and remain will both be together caught up in the air at the with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The you dead in Christ will rise first. What's that? You realize that's a thousand years from now, right? No, this is the last, this is the trumpet of God. The I'm dead in Christ will rise first. It's not the last trumpet of God. I'm saying what you're reading from, have you noticed that there are three different words for God in that verse or in, in that uh, in that chapter? Uh, the the word God in the Greek is for Jesus, where they refer specifically to Jesus, and there's one for Lord, and you have to figure out from the clues given which one Lord is meeting. That's when the Father comes down to earth. That's a thousand years from now. Uh, I would disagree. Uh, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. This is the Lord Jesus that's being mentioned here. He's the one that's called Lord. The Father is called God. Jesus is called Lord. Have you done an interlinear search on that chapter? Have you looked at the words from the interlinear on that? Do, do you want, are you trying to reinterpret the words here? Is that what you're saying? I'm trying to say that there are three different words used for a God-like creature. We've got the creator, and of course the other one is, is the son. But the okay. other one is just used as Lord. It's a generalized statement. You've got to look at the clues and figure out whether it's the father or the son. That's talking about the father. Okay, so you know that the father descends, Enoch 105, with his son. It's also in Ezekiel 37, when the New Jerusalem comes down. No, the father's here before that. He's here. That's, that's when the New Jerusalem comes down, at the beginning of the thousand-year millennial reign. That's no question that he, he is here when the New Jerusalem comes down. Because it's literally his house. The directions are both on Day of Atonement, separated by a thousand years, and the last trumpet is a factor of Day of Atonement, when the Father comes. Okay, that's that's uh, interesting theory. I, I mean, if, if you have a scripture, I guess, to, to validate that. but You just looked at the scripture. Well, that's your interpretation of that scripture, because most people, and a lot of text, a lot of text, it tells us de definitively that the Father sends his Son as what's called the, the second coming or the day of the Lord. He is considered the right arm. He is the, you know, the Isaiah metaphoric mention of the right arm of God. He's the son of God. He's the one that's been given judgment to rule and reign as King and Messiah. Um, he's the one that comes back with the angels, Matthew 25 or 24, 29, 29 through 31. So it's not the father coming back at the beginning of the middle of reign. The father will come down because it's literally his house is coming down. But the, the preceding moment that's called the day of the Lord, that's Yeshua, the son and the angels coming down to actually to battle the kings of the earth. Now, that's going to be at Armageddon, mm -hmm. which will be a day of trumpets. First and second resurrection are both on day of atonement. Sukkot is when the heaven comes down to earth. Okay, well, that's respectfully, that's your, what you're saying. That's your interpretation of these ideas, right? I think people, I think almost everybody in faith has that belief. No, they don't, brother. Not I didn't close. say everybody. I said almost. The vast majority okay. of them do. 
So, so I just want to make sure people are able to follow here. Um, so even though, so Revelation 19 talks about the Son, King, Kings, Lord, Lords, Jesus Christ. He's battling, battling uh, the beast, the false prophet, and, uh, and the angels are with Yeshua. Correct. And that this is the beginning of the millennial reign. Are we even in agreement about that? Absolutely. That's the beginning of the millennial reign. Okay. Okay. Revelation so, 19. Absolutely. So with that in mind, mm -hmm. you you're saying that only the people resurrected at, at that moment, that when your shoe returns at that moment, the beginning of the winter rain, are those who've had their heads be taken off? They're not resurrected then. Resurrection's Day of Atonement. That's 10 days later. Messiah's coming back on trumpets. Okay, because I just... It's 10 days later. <laughs> okay. so they're, not, they're not there when he comes down. Okay. So I just read a verse that says, at, with the trumpet of God, these people are resurrected, but you think that that's at the end of the millennial reign? I do. Okay. So that, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, where this, this idea is mentioned again. And we're going to take a quick look sure, at what that yeah. says. Sure. Because this is our trumpet is our qualifier. And that's that's going to be important to hear. All right. So here we go. Verse 50. So now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Do you and I agree that the kingdom of God is the new Jerusalem that comes and sits down the earth? Absolutely. Okay. So that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you, a mystery will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on the immortal. Correct. That's in a resurrection moment. You agree? I th that's second resurrection moment. Yes. Okay. So that's where we would disagree. That's where we're going with. So here at the last trumpet of Revelation, which is the seventh trumpet in Revelation 11, this is beautiful, right? This moment here. This is then the seventh. Let me pull up Revelation 11. Yeah, I got it on screen for us, brother. You may, but mine's on a small screen. So. Okay. <laughs> and my <not> that good. <laughs> so this basically is telling us the seventh angel sounded and there were large voices in heaven saying, so this is the seventh angel blowing his last trumpet. There's only seven trumpets prophesied in the book of Revelation. Correct. Okay. No, no trumpet at the end of the millennial reigns prophesied. Set, just, just, just that seventh trumpet. And you read it in this Thessalonians, but okay. Okay. But that, but that would be your interpretation that that is happening at a different time period when Yeshua is coming back a second time at the end of the millennial reign? Is that what you're saying? No. I'm, you would have to be saying that. The Father's coming to earth. At the end of the millennial reign, when everybody has died and has those people who did not inherit a second life, they've been thrown down to hell. And then those of us who are alive, we lose if you're alive back then. And I'm not going to be alive then because that's a thousand years from now. But so... Those people who are alive, my grandsons, my great-grandson, whatever, they will immediately get a resurrected body. And then those people who are dead who come up, Adam all the way through Noah, through Job, everybody is comes up and deals with a second resurrection. And that's why with a resurrected body, we can go and meet him in the clouds. Every other time it's talking about the Messiah coming, it only says that you know he's coming in the clouds. It never says we meet him in the clouds. This is right here, right, right here. It does. I got it on the screen for us. Okay. Literally, it literally does right here. Jesus Christ which, is which, descending at the last trumpet. Correct. Yes. And yes, 
verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. That's Yeshua no, in the air. To interpret as Yeshua, it is Lord. And as I said, there are three different words here. That's the Father. The Father, the Father's not the one to prophesied to come down through the clouds. It's Yeshua. He's the Son of Man that's coming through the clouds. No. You just read where the Father's coming down in the clouds. Uh, that's that would so okay. So that's that's how you're interpreting in that particular verse. So if I go to Matthew 24, where Yeshua tells us that um the Son of Man will appear in the sky, the Son of the Son of Man, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Are you saying that's the Father too? No, I'm not. That's the okay. Son. And so this isn't the first, this isn't the, I'm so, I'm, I'm really confused, brother. Help me, help me understand. You have to do an interlinear search through third Thessalonians to, and look at the clues given and then determine when it's using the word Lord, is it used, is it referencing the father or the son? The okay. Clues, so if you look at the clues, we'll show you and reference that it's talking about the father. We got plenty of other verses that parallel first Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. I'm looking, I'm looking at one right here and I'm verse 31 from the verse. I just right after the verse I just read and he, Yeshua will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. This is the second coming of Yeshua with the angels in the sky. This is with the great trumpet. This is the gathering from the elect from the four winds of the from one end of the heaven to the other. And you're saying that that's that's a, what you're reading is a thousand years from now when the Father comes down. It literally right. says the Son of Man. Do you do we agree the Son of Man is the word for Yeshua? A euphemism for Yeshua? One second. You're in first, oh you're in Matthew twenty four. Yep. I thought you were still dealing. I couldn't read what you've got, so I was dealing with the other one for a second. One minute. I'll be there in just a second. Oh, I hate those things. Let's see. I hate that, too. And when I... All right, let's see. What verse are you in? Matthew, Matthew 24, 29 through 31. 29 through 30. That's certainly talking about the sun. I have no problem about that. Okay. So we have a qualifier of angels coming with him, a great trumpet's being sounded, the gathering the elect, that's the saints, from the four winds. That means, as, as it expounds to say, from one end of the heaven to the other. From one Does end it of the sky say to meet him in the clouds in that one? That's what I already said. It says a number of times that he comes in the clouds. Has it ever said, other than First Thessalonians, that we meet him in the clouds? So you're are you, so you're saying basically your your understanding of First Thessalonians four is you don't agree that Yeshua is the one that we meet in the clouds. You no. think that that's supposed to say no. the Father. The Father, the Son comes in the clouds. There's no dispute about that. Okay. There's no dispute about that. Okay. But the issue is First Thessalonians is the Father coming down, and because at that point in time, second resurrection has already occurred, we have the resurrected bodies to meet Him in the clouds. No other time does it say that we meet. Messiah. We don't have to. All right, so let me let me understand. I think this is maybe where impasse is. This is where we're not communicating because you're okay. So you, if you think that First Thessalonians four is literally the Father coming down after the millennial reign mm -hmm. and not the sun coming down at the beginning of the millennial reign. 
Yep. And and we already agreed that the kingdom of heaven is the new Jerusalem that comes down at the beginning of the millennial reign. No, not at the beginning, at the end. Okay, so you, th oh, okay. So then you don't think that, so you think there's peace on us for a thousand years through what means? Because the Messiah is here is ruling. Okay, where is he ruling from? Jerusalem. The land-based city of Jerusalem that's destroyed by fire? Yep. Okay, so he's going to be ruling from burnt out remains? <sighs> I certainly think that we can build him a new temple because he has to have a temple and he has to have a palace. Okay, because the scripture just literally tells us, though, that he's comes down with the new Jerusalem, though. That is the father comes down with the new Jerusalem at the end of all time. Okay, let's. <laughs> all right, so let me ask you this then. So you, you said Joel 2, earlier you said Joel 2 or Joel, the book of Joel. I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to have the health to go through all that. So let's, if we could, let's just go through Revelation 12, which is going to describe the whole thing. The whole path is through Revelation 12. Okay. Because we, we haven't even gotten to Isaiah 26, 27 yet, because that actually gives us the Trump qualifier with the resurrection at the same time. Again, my health is not there. I wish it was, but. Okay. Um, what verse did you want to look at in Revelation 12? The whole chapter, every single verse. Okay, so, so to you, the entire chapter is referring to what time period? We don't know the exact time period. We can just look to see if certain things are close. But wait, I thought we were talking about the first resurrection. About the first resurrection, and it'll also talk about the greater exodus. Okay, and so let's, let's read it then. In verse, um, do you want me to read it, or do you want to read it? I can read it for us. Before we go there. Would you agree that the time of Jacob's trouble and the great tribulation are seven years? Combined. No. What verse would give you that idea? Okay. And what you verse gives you that idea? Agree that the Messiah is coming back on trumpets. Uh, literally tells us in the Greek Septuagint, Messiah is going to gather us back for Passover. You're, you're exactly right, except for those in Judea. That's Matthew 24, 15, and 16. We'll get to that if I can do it. But um, what day was passed? What day was uh, trumpets in 2017? You can look at sighted moon or anything like that, which will tell you what day was trumpets in 2017. Uh, you have to let me know, brother. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. It is September 21st and the day of September 22nd. And when you do your taxes, and this doesn't sound like it's related, but it is. When you do your taxes, do you do it from January 1st to December 31st? Or do you do January 1st to January 1st? My American taxes is the calendar, the, the you know, calendar fiscal year from January to January. Yeah. No. You look at your tax form again. It's January 1st to December 31st. January 1 to January 1 is one year and one day. Yeah, I, I apologize. I did. I should have said December 31st, but you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So the issue is, and again, just bear with me on these two issues, that, and I'll show you where this goes. But if we take it that the tribulation is a seven-year period, and that he's which, coming which back. Which verse gives you that idea, brother? Which verse are you building this theory off of? I'm just going to try to get through this because, uh, trust me, <laughs> I sat down. Um, five minutes is the longest I sat down before. Okay. Yeah, so, I apologize. If, if, if your body is given out at this point, it's okay. No, I understand. It's the most important thing. So I need to kind of get through this. So if the Messiah is coming back on trumpets, we would look for the, a sign happening one day after trumpets seven years earlier. 
Now, again, all this is dependent upon the Antichrist being revealed. So all, until that time, all this is just something that looks good. So if trumpets in 2017 was a night of 20, September 21st to September 22nd. And so we have in Revelation 12, um, the sign in the sky. So that should be the first two verses. Let me get rid of all this. because I got it on the screen for us right here. Perfect. Thank you. Unfortunately, like I said, I cannot read. <laughs> um, so great great sign appeared in heaven. Sure, go ahead and read it. That's a fine. woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Okay, can you type into the, just the computer, and then when you do a Google search on the top, it'll say news, video, images, and just type in September twenty third, two thousand seventeen, and click images. I think a lot of people are already familiar with this, brother. But uh, they are. But again, it's just, it's easier. But they've not taken it to the next step. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm. I don't use Google, but I'm not sure. Is this? I'll put this on screen for us here. This may be what you're thinking of. Yes, exactly. Okay. Hasn't seven thousand years won't happen for a Nick again for another seven thousand. Again, not saying it's there. It just happens to fit the day after it should be if the Messiah were returning on trumpets. Okay. And what made that special is the fact that Jupiter was in retrograde. As we come around the sun, we catch up to the planet Jupiter and pass it. And when we do, it looks like it does a circle. And this time it did a circle all inside the uh, belly of Virgo, the constellation Virgo. All right. And because and that was in for, for 41 weeks, which is the length of a pregnancy. That Virgo, sorry, Jupiter was inside the constellation Virgo. Brother, so, these images that people have attached to constellations, mm -hmm. these, um, where do these images come from? Genesis 1.14. Well, that says there's lights in the sky to give light upon the earth. And? But it doesn't tell us that the signs. constellation of Virgo is a woman. Does it not say signs of seasons? It actually says Moedim's in the Hebrew. Um, but it's but what I'm saying though is that this picture of a woman that that people have drawn around the actual points that they've connected from what they call the constellation of Virgo. That's I've never seen that anywhere in scripture. Okay. Well, again, we're going to walk through the whole chapter. This is just. Let's go back to the scriptures. Let's go back to the chapter. Help me right. walk through it. Sure. So let's look at Revelation 3, 12, 3. Okay, here we are. Okay. Does it, what say, does it say another sign or another great sign? It says, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven horns and ten horns, seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. So seven diadems would be the corona um, constellation. You've got two possible constellations. I believe it is a constellation serpents which sits right at the feet of the constellation Virgo. Yeah, they it's call that Ophiuchus. Do what? They call that constellation Ophiuchus. Yeah. It's also known as, again, as we look at the word there for Revelation 3, the dragon, it's Dracon, which is a great serpent, could also be a dragon. The other one is the constellation Draco. They both sit on opposite sides of this corona constellation. Okay. Um and I'll let you finish up that that verse. So you think that that's the other sign that appears in heaven is these it's, constellations it's there. That's no next big, to Virgo. That's not a, a great sign. It's just another sign. No big deal. 
And then the so you're saying the the constellation of Virgo has a crown with seven. No, I didn't say the constellation of Virgo. I said serpents and Draco both sit on opposite sides of the Corona constellation, the crown constellation. Okay. But is doesn't this say there's seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems? How does that relate to one Corona constellation? Is it seven stars that makes up the Corona constellation? I'd have to I'd have to go back through there. I'm just again I'm gonna try to okay. So the next the next verse is what uh, his tail swept away a third of the stars of the heaven threw them to the earth, and the dra dragon stood before the woman who's about to give birth, so that when she gave birth he might devour her child. Okay, again, that's where I think serpents is, mo is the most likely because it's right at her feet. Um, did you have you ever looked at the um, Draconoid meteor shower? On October 8, 2017, the Draconoid meteor shower, one third of all stars that are visible by the naked eye fell to Earth that night as a meteor shower. Yeah, I really didn't hear about that. Yeah, you can look it up. It's on October 8th. That's when that happened. So um, you're telling me before October 8th, 2017, we could look up in the sky and see all the stars littering the heaven. And then after that, a third of those that we see in the sky fell to the earth as meteors. And now we can look up and not see that third up there anymore. That one third is still there. It's just a meteor shower. The numbers just happen to match. Now let's go I apologize. ahead. I'm not following that. That's okay. We're going to go to verse five. Yeah, here we are. And she gave birth to a male son, a male child who's to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God into his throne. I'm not going to deal with the God in his throne because that's going to take a while. That's going to Revelation 5. But the Jupiter left the belly of Virgo on October, the night of October 13th, 2017. So that's wait a minute. Left out. Jupiter's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron and not Yeshua? No, it's obviously Yeshua. And I might as well go ahead and deal with it and show you. God into his throne because it's clearly identifying the Messiah. Okay. Messiah has never been identified by Jupiter. Okay. In scriptures, he's called the son of God. Okay. Okay. So that happened on the night of October 13th. If you go back and you look at when trumpets occurred, which was okay. October 21st, and you count off the 15 days and the eighth for the, for the last high Sabbath of Sukkot, you will come to, October 13th and 14th as the last high Sabbath. So God does things on his calendar. Is that according to the, the, the rabbinical calendar? Of course. Okay. Cause that's, that's a, that's a lunar calendar and that's, that's not the ones that Moses and David King David. And that's not the one that ancient Israel used the Hebrew calendar. Again, what we're looking at there is it's the month of, of the seventh month starts on the day of trumpets, right? No matter how we're dealing with it, that's when the seventh month starts, right? Okay. So if we count off from there in Leviticus 23 and we count off 15 days, we'll get to the first high Sabbath of Sukkot. And then you go to eight days after that, you'll get to the second high Sabbath of Sukkot. Sure. This day happened to be on the last high Sabbath of Sukkot when Jupiter left the belly. Okay. So from there, let's look at verse um, six. Uh, the, the woman fled to the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Okay. Have you ever done an online calculator for days? You have to explain some more what you mean. Sure. Um, 
I'll probably, I can probably send it to you. Um, an easy one. Let's see. I, I, let's just talk practically real quick, brother, for okay. the sake of, for the sake of your, your pain that you're in. I understand. Are you talking about 24 hour day? Are you trying to say that the word days is not the same? What are you, what are you saying? If you add, if you start from October 14th was the last part of that day of October 13th, 14th is a high Sabbath. If anybody goes to any online calculator for days and then they add the starting date would be October 14th, 2017. You add 1,260 days. It brings you to March 27th, 2021. Okay. And what do you think is going to happen at that point? Well, what's March 27th, 2021? It's Passover. According to the lunar calendar, right? The rabbinical lunar calendar. Whatever we've got. It's, it's, <laughs> Well, that's not, not that is the issue that we've got. There. Okay. What we've got has uh, has some serious flaws with it. That's why they literally have to add an extra extra time into it every so often because okay. it's based off a lunar calendar from ancient Greece and not what uh, what Jubilees and Enoch states. And I don't I don't follow Jubilees or Enoch, so I don't really care too much on those. So that being said, okay. um, but that will bring you to Passover. Now, the, the next few verses from verse 7 all the way to verse and going through 13 is talking about Satan is being thrown down. Woe to the earth. Heaven's celebrating because he's no longer in heaven. And woe to the earth. Do you, are you suggesting this would happen sometimes within, within that 1260 days? No, I think it happened when one third of the stars were thrown down. In October 8th, 2017? Correct. Okay, so Satan is and a whole bunch of other angels. Um, from your understanding of what the word angel is here, do you think that they're on the earth running around and and this is we're already in that twelve sixty time period that's coming to a finite uh, a finite time period in March of twenty twenty one. March twenty seventh. Okay, what do you what are you suggesting happens on March twenty seventh? Well, it's Passover. That's all. So the so Revelation twelve is fulfilled on March twenty seventh, and Satan's no. just going to be running around and no no repercussions. The whole chapter. We got to go through the whole chapter. Okay. okay. So like I said, I'm skipping through here. There's, we'll pick it back up at verse fourteen. Okay. Yeah, we're here. Yeah. Uh, you, you're going to skip. Um, I'm skipping where it says Satan has been thrown down, and you know that's okay. heaven's doing all this. Um. Okay, so so the dragon who's thrown out of the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, and you right. think that's that's been happening? Fourteen right now, yeah. Okay, and then the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman, so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Okay, so she's out of the serpent's reach for time, times and half a time is three and a half years, right? I agree with you. Okay, on that. Heard wings of an eagle. Did you hear Exodus? What's Exodus 19, 4 say? That they were taken into the, to the base of Mount Sinai? Is that what you're no, asking about? No, Exodus 19, 4 is the first time the eagle's wings were used in, 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 the, in the Torah or in the Bible. Obviously, Torah starts. So that bore you on eagle's wings. Right. So also in Isaiah chapter 40, says that when you will mount up on wings as if eagles, speaking specifically about the first resurrection as well, when they get their glorified bodies and they're flying away to their place in Isaiah 26, 19, 21 to the new Jerusalem. Yeah. Oh, you think, do you think that this is talking about I a think direct correlation with revelation 20? No, 
I don't put it as Revelation 20. I see the eagle wings because it's talking in Exodus 19.4. That's the first time we have that word used. And it's talking about an Exodus, how he brought us home from Egypt, which again, Deuteronomy 28.68 says we go to Egypt. This is how we get out. So that's the first time we have the, the word eagle wings. Well, thank you. I'm trying. That's what I was trying to get to earlier is just a simple statement as far as because some people teach the second exodus concept is that we're actually there's very different. A lot of teachers out there and some of them teach that we're taken to Mount Sinai and we wait for five or six months uh, before the resurrection happens. Others say that we're taken to Israel some undisclosed time period for like a year uh, before before the Rishua comes back with no mention of the first resurrection. And you're saying that we're taken to Egypt specifically. Mm hmm. And then we do. What's the only what's the only feast that has a makeup day? Are you talking about the second second Exodus? No, second excuse me, the second Passover. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so we would have a we would have a Passover where we leave, and then we have a Passover where we would leave Egypt, and then we will go and do basically the same thing through Exodus. Okay, so. Let me ask you a practical question, according to your thesis and your theory here, in that in the first moment that the people are gathered, and you say it's not ever all believers, it's just certain believers, it's just according to Revelation 3, the only believers that understand and know about this that no. are taken to, to Egypt. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do the best I can to represent you. I'm not trying to slander you, okay, brother? I'm doing the best I can from what you've explained to me to say it back and make sure I'm understanding. So you're, you're saying you, there's not the entirety of believers— take part in according to your understanding not the entirety of believers take part in the second exodus but the but the ones that do are only the ones who are aware of it and they're taken to egypt to then be but to then taken into the promised land with no no inclusion of resurrection bodies the resurrected bodies come after the messiah returns revelation 20 is after revelation 19 messiah comes and then we have first resurrection all right. So at this point, before before you have to take I, off, we still want to finish off Revelation twelve. We haven't finished the chapter. <laughs> I don't want to miss anything. <laughs> you know, this yeah. chapter is a very big one, and again, it's going to talk about. The there's a lot. There's a lot we haven't covered, bro. I'm, I'm doing my best to surmise what you are trying to say, uh, on, for the sake of your of your back pain, but also um, make sure that we actually have somewhat of a coherent conversation that people can follow. Um, yeah, someone in the comments said we need a really big whiteboard. <laughs> and uh, so basically, all right, so we're already at, we just have a couple more verses in Revelation 12, 15 through 17. Correct. Okay. And 15 and 16 is the, is the um, he, he, he tries to flood us and the earth opens up and swallows the flood. So while in Egypt, Satan tries to flood the balloon. Most likely, and again, this is my opinion. Most likely, that is the Mosul Dam in Iraq breaking. It's built on a weak foundation, and that fits from our path. Our path is shown to us throughout the Bible, um, but it's probably easier to say it quickly. We, we, when we leave Egypt, we're going to Mount Sinai. We will stay there for the year because that's how long it took for the first resurrection. They left in the second month, and I think it was on the 28th day is when they left Mount Sinai. That's when we will leave. And then we would go through the rest of our path. We go down through Jordan or lower Jordan, which is Edom. Then we go through middle Jordan, which is Moab. And then upper Jordan, which is Amman. We go up through Syria, cross the Euphrates River, come down Iraq. And then the sixth seal happens. The Euphrates dries up for the kings of the east to come back and rush back for Armageddon. So that fits in time. 
And so the last verse in Revelation 12. The dragons enraged with the woman went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. First resurrection. That's when he goes to kill them at that point in time. So it's after those on the first exodus have already seen this water coming. That should be when the two witnesses die. Uh, it should be when the trumpets have ended and they go back. So now, this, do you disagree that the seventh trumpet mentioned in Revelation happens at the return of Yeshua? So you mean the second trumpet judgment? The seventh trumpet. Second, seventh trumpet judgment is what I'm asking you. Right. That's that. No, the judgments. I, the judgments accompany the trumpet blasts in Revelation. No, because the the bowls come after that. Okay. So when I just read Revelation 11, that was the end of the trumpet judgments, but that doesn't mean that's when the Messiah has come. Verse 15. I'll put it on screen for us. Says, then the seventh angel sounded, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, his Christ, his son. And he will reign forever and ever. And you're saying there's still more that happens after this. There's, there, you're saying that, that this is not the actual moment where he actually comes back? No. Okay, so... So he's reigning, but he's not actually on the earth. He says, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, who are and who were, because you've taken your great power and you have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged and your wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name. How is Why is the dead being judged in this moment with the last seventh trumpet being mentioned right here? Dead or... Revelation 11, 15 through 18. Revelation. No, I see where you are. But no, we still have the you still have the bowls to go. Yeah, I agree. We've, we've talked about the bulls being dumped out on the last day because of what happens with the bulls. So it's um, so, but this is the day of wrath. This is why there's flashes, peals, lightnings, and thunders, and a great earthquake and a great hellstorm. Mm -hmm. This is part of those those bulls. But the point is, the qualifier, and let's, and this is where I was trying to explain to you earlier, and for the viewers that are watching, we keep running into this trumpet blast, which is the qualifier of the first resurrection and also the simultaneous return of Yeshua. I know you disagree with that um, because you also don't agree with everyone that's in the first resurrection, which I say it's everyone who's a believer from Adam up until the return of Yeshua. But if we go to actually Isaiah 26 um, and we look in verses 19 through 21, and uh, actually, I'll just go ahead and start in verse 17 real quick, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to bleed into 27 as well. And this is going to give us a great context about the first resurrection pertaining specifically to the destruction encompassing at the last great trumpet when Yeshua returns. And we have this called day of the Lord concept. Verse 17, as the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she writhes and cries out in her labor pains. Thus, we were before you, O Lord. This is also parallel in Isaiah 66, verse 7 through 9, where an entire nation is born in a day. It says, we were pregnant, we writhed in labor, we gave birth as it seems only to wind. Excuse me. But we could not accomplish deliverance for the earth, nor were inhabitants of the world born. Your dead will live. 
their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you and hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. What's the indignation? Verse 21, for behold, the Lord is about to come out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and no longer cover her slain. Mm -hmm. Okay. Verse 27, verse, verse, chapter 27. Remember in Hebrew, there's no, there's no chapter breaks. There's no verses. Yeah. So it keeps, it keeps going. And in that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent with his fierce and great and mighty sword, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent. He will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. This is paralleled by Enoch chapter 70, excuse me, Enoch chapter 60. So specifically the Leviathan will be used for food for the survivors of the nations. It's also paralleled in second Baruch, the apocalypse of Baruch chapter 27 or excuse me, chapter 29, explaining Leviathan and Behemoth are used for food for the survivors of the nations at the return of the Lord. It says, In that day of a vineyard of wine, I sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water it every moment so that no one will damage it. I guard it night and day. I have no wrath. Should someone give me briars and thorns in battle, then I would step on them. I would burn them completely or let them let him rely on my protection. Let him make peace with me. Let him make peace with me. And in the days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and sprout. They will fill the whole world with fruit like the striking of him who has struck them. Has he has he struck them or like the slaughter of his slain? Have they been slain? You contend with them by banishing them, by driving them away with this fierce wind. He's expelled them on the day of the east wind. Therefore, through Jacob, this therefore. Through this, Jacob's iniquity will be forgiven, and this will be the full price of the parting of his sin. When he makes all the altar stones like pulverized chalk stones, when Asherim and incense altars will not stand. And here's where it gets it gets good. For the fortified city is isolated, a homestead forlorn and forsaken like the desert. The calf will graze, and there it will lie down and feed on its branches. When its limbs are dry, they're broken off. Women come and make a fire with them, for they are not a people of discernment. Therefore, their maker will not have compassion on them, and their creator will not be gracious to them. In that day, the Lord will start his threshing from the flowing stream of the Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered up one by one, O sons of Israel. It will come about also in that day that a great trumpet will be blown. Those who are perishing in the land of Assyria and who are scattered in the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. And that is directly prophesied to us as the new Jerusalem that comes down at the beginning of the millennial reign. It's also in 2nd Ezra chapter 2, the entire chapter, also in chapter 7, verse 26. This is the inheritance of the saints as Isaiah 54, 13 through 17 explains to us. It's literally the heritage of the saints. Those who are resurrected as the saints at the returning of the Lord, at the day of his coming, at the last trumpet, inherit the new Jerusalem. It's also Revelation 21, verse 4 through 7. These are all the qualifiers that happen at the last trumpet. All the people, just like Yeshua says in Matthew 24, 29 through 31, the angels are sent out to gather the elect from the four winds from everywhere into the heaven. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I guess I struggle to see your interpretation of Deuteronomy 28, 20, 68, that we're gathered to Egypt because that was specifically a prophecy, a prophecy about punishment that they would be sent to Egypt. That was not in the context of the day of the Lord or a gathering before the day of the Lord. That was something that was literally fulfilled in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. So you think that, that the Northern tribes have already joined with the Southern tribes. And so no. where are we then? No, now you're, now you're, you're, I was talking about Deuteronomy 2868. Now you're, you're talking about Isaiah 11. 
Isaiah 11 is the northern and the southern tribes in, in peace again. Yes, it's Isaiah. It's Ezekiel 37. It's the gathering of the two houses. The two sticks brought together as one. 100%. That is the peace that's made amongst all the inhabitants of the first resurrection that are a part of Israel. No matter which house they came from, north or southern house, they're given a heart with the commandments of God written on them. So they will be at peace with God and with each other mm -hmm. because they will forever do the behavior of love of the Torah. So this is this is the promise of the resurrection, and it has qualifiers of when it actually happens. And the biggest and greatest qualifier, in my understanding, is the last trumpet on the day of the Lord, the day Yeshua returns. And the, the resurrected saints, they inherit the kingdom. This is the promise. This is why I, I just read Isaiah 26, 20. Come, enter into your rooms until indignation is passed. This is why Paul's talking in 1 Thessalonians 4. Those who are dead in Christ rise first, the alive and remain together with them to meet him in his air at the coming because they're being taken away from the wrath of the Lamb to the new Jerusalem. This is, this is how they are adorned as Isaiah 49, 14 through 18. It says that the bride puts on the saints like jewelry. This is what Revelation 19, 7 is talking about, how the, the bride makes herself ready. Does that make any sense? With your interpretation of it, no, but I certainly agree with all the verses. Okay. Yeah. Well, basically, you know, we, we both knew going in that we had very different understandings of this. <laughs> so um, I really appreciate you taking the time to lay out your case and to lay out, you know, what you think the verses are, are you know, speaking. So, um, but if you're in a lot of pain, brother, I don't want to keep you. I can, I'd like to do one other thing if I could real quick, mm -hmm. because again, we can't identify anything with one witness. We have to have two witnesses, right? It depends on the context of what you're talking about. I mean, that's technically, that's a, a legalist, a legal thing for the judge when he's just deciding a case or disputing a case. But what, what are you talking about right now? Um, can you pull up the Greek Septuagint again in um, Genesis verses 11? Genesis chapter 11? Chapter 11. Okay. Yeah. And then what we're going to do is we're going to compare that to any current Bible verse or any current Genesis 11. But we'll start in verse 12. Okay. So you want to go to Genesis 11, 12. In the Greek Septuagint. Okay. I am aware that there's different ages given. It's also in chapter 5 as well. There's different ages given in the Septuagint. Correct. Yeah. But I'm going to deal with this because the others... Chapter 5 is going to get wiped out with where I'm going with this, this statement real quick, weirdly enough. Okay, we're, we're here, and then people can see chapter 11, verse 12. Okay. And again, it's 135 years. It says in the Septuagint, it says 135 years and begot Canaan. Yeah. And then in our current Bible, it's just 35 years. Yeah, if we go to... The Masoretic text, mm -hmm. it will say that our Faxab was 35 years old when he begot Selah, okay. not and then, Canaan. And verse 14, it does the same thing where another 100 years has been deleted. Well, it does it for quite a few of them in this entire breakdown in 11. But there's yeah. also a secondary discrepancy here with Canaan versus Selah. And Canaan's actually mentioned in Jubilees, by the way, and also in the, in the Greek in, in Luke chapter 3. In that genealogy. So he was actually um, removed from the Genesis chapter 10 as well, but he's in the Septuagint there as well. So yeah, what's what's the end game of this? Okay. The, the last verse there where it finishes up, because it's 100 in each verse, each even verse, okay. completed, except for the last one where it's 150 and that's verse 24. Okay, cool. 
So it's a total of 750 years. Okay. Now, this is just a math question from this point on. It's just basically with a calculator. We just started what year on the Hebrew calendar? Well, brother, that, that runs into another issue because we're taking a rabbinical calendar from Judaism. Okay. If we take the rabbinical calendar from Judaism, what year did we just start? I don't I think it was it 50, 57 something? 57. 57. Okay. Um, and we know we've got another 750 um, years that were deleted from Genesis 11 from the Greek Septuagint, right? Okay. If, I mean, I'm, I'm following you. I'm, I'm following what you're trying to do here. Okay. When the Messiah comes back, he rules for a thousand years, right? Okay. And if I looked at things correctly from Revelation 12, the Messiah comes back in four years, right? Well, that's what I, that's what I was trying to actually get you to pin down and tell me because I, I was struggling to follow your Revelation 12 interpretations um, to say what exactly you were making of all that. Sorry, could you say that one more time? I, I couldn't hear you. It looks like he comes back on trumpets in four years from now. What? Where? How did you get the four years from now? Where are you getting that from? For throughout the entire chapter of Revelation 12, starting okay. from the start going forward, you have, you know. You go up to October 13th, 14th, and you add the 1,260 days. You come to Passover, and then from Passover for three and a half years from verse 14, you come to trumpets. I thought you said you thought the start of that 1260 started well, in 2017. The start of it, but I'm talking about the end of it. It's a seven-year period. Yeah, I'm talking about the, the – yeah. It starts so now 1260 is only three and a half years, though. It's not seven years. 1260 isn't trying to deal with, with three and a half years because you have from the Revelation 12 sign of 12-1 with a sign in the sky until when the child is born. That's also some time. Then from when the child is born, you add 1,260 days. Then you come to Passover. And then Revelation 12-14 you add three and a half years, that brings you to trumpets. Where are you getting that from, though? Which verse are you Just, talking about? For the three and a half years would be Revelation 12, 14. From the, from the time the child is born, which is Revelation 12, 5, and then Revelation 12, 6, which says, um, and again, I say the child was born when Jupiter left the belly, and then you add the 1,260 days, that will bring you to Passover. From Passover, when we leave on Exodus, you add three and a half years, it will bring you to trumpets. Okay, I really struggle with all that because Revelation 12, the child that's born, you you said you agree with me that it's Yeshua, the Son of God, in, right. that, in metaphoric interpretation, but you're also calling it Jupiter now as a literal fulfillment as far as constellations, and it's not anymore the metaphor of Yeshua. Okay. Let's so look at I, I guess I'm struggling with the mixing of metaphors here. Let's look at uh, Revelation 5 for a second then. Because okay. remember, when he, the child was born, he went to God and to his throne, right? Right. Okay. Right, right. And Yeshua is in, we both agree Yeshua is in heaven right now, ministering. In heaven, it wasn't then. Okay. So, you know, the revelation was written several decades after Yeshua ascended to heaven, right? Correct. Okay. So he was descended to heaven then. He was in heaven, but he wasn't during the sign. And not 2019 or 2017? 2017. Yeshua wasn't in heaven in 2017? Not from the period of time from 
when um, Jupiter entered the belly of Revelation until October uh, brother I think I I lost your feed um, I'm sorry I can't see you I don't know where you went brother um, I've, I've lost I lost you in the course of what you're trying to say as well but I actually lost your feed as well so I apologize if you if you're still there, uh, come on back. Um, I'm not sure where you went, brother, but uh, come on back. I've got you still in the studio. Oh, here you go. Okay, you're back now. Okay. Okay, so, I lost you for a minute there. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I was, I was trying to unmute and everything, see if it re-kick itself. Um, so let's go through Revelation uh, 5 for a second, just the first few verses. And by mm -hmm. first view, um, we're going to go through verse Let's go through verse 7, 1 through 7. Cool. I got it up on screen. Okay. This is a great part, right? Yeshua walks up to the Father. We got the living creatures hanging out. It says, verse 1, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then hey, I began to weep. Stop for a second. If he's if he's this not, this is how we this is how we get away from context when you just break it up verse by verse. But I have to for this. So in other words, at that point in time, the Messiah wasn't on Earth, he wasn't on Heaven, and he wasn't under Earth, right? No, he's there. He just hasn't gotten to him. It yet. says he's not. It says he's not. Right. I mean, so you can't say he this is. This is classic Hebrew writing where it poses it poses a rhetorical question. Okay. So in other but, words, what space is available? If he's not in heaven, he's not on earth, he's not under the earth, what other places are available? Um, according to Genesis 1, nothing else. So what, no, what are you going to suggest? Either between heaven and earth Where's or that? Above, above heaven if there is such a place. Those are the only two places available. Brother, that's not what the Bible describes as the creation model of everything that's created. I don't, I'm not going into flat earth. I'm just saying. No one said flat earth. I'm talking about Genesis 1. I'm talking about the, the same guy that you just saw in verse one that says the guy sitting at saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The guy who sat on the throne, he described for us what he made. So this isn't about a, a square piece of land with water falling off of it in space. He describes something that has multiple layers of ferment that's directly over the earth that he created. So in other words, it says he's not on earth or, or under earth and not in heaven. So there's a space between heaven and earth. Do we agree with that? It's called no. the sky. So it's, if I throw a baseball up and my baseball's hitting heaven? No, I'm just I'm trying to say to you, brother, it does tell you Yeshua is in the room here. It just hasn't gotten to him. It's a few verses down. This is what I said. You get in trouble when you just break it up verse by verse. That's completely correct. But I'm trying to get you on this verse. It says he in there at that point in time. I apologize, brother. You can't get me on something out of context because the, the rest of the passage, just two verses later, it says, oh, there is a guy here. <laughs> Yes, and he's been there the whole time. What did verse What did verse five say of Revelation twelve? Because if you look here, going all the way through verse seven, it says he shows up to the throne, and who's on the throne? The Father, right? No, it's actually. Um, let's read the context. This is really important for the viewers, and I feel for the conversation. So we stopped at verse three. But verse four goes right on to say, John is the one saying this. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. And one of the elders 
said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seals. This is just talking from the ignorance of John, seeing this vision, not realizing there's more happening in heaven because he's just watching this one little moment. And then you've got the angel literally has to tell him, relax, it's okay. There is someone here that I can open this book. And he goes on to tell him, verse 6, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the so elders throne, right? a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he, that's the lamb, came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So who's sitting on the throne? The father. Okay. What's Revelation 12, 5 say when the child is born? Where does, he, where does the child go? He's caught up to God in heaven. This no, it says God into his throne. In Revelation 12, Revelation 12, 5 says to God into the throne. Brother, you know that Yeshua promises us just as he overcame and sat on the throne with his father. That's what we're promised as well. You're in Revelation 2, but not Revelation 12. chapter 3. No, Revelation 2. I'm sorry, right. Revelation 12, verse 5. I know what I know. We already read the Revelation 12 part. I'm just yeah. saying that the whole premise of what you're trying to make up out of the concept of God sitting on his throne. And the idea of Yeshua being the son that's born and caught up to God in heaven, that into his throne, that is the point of Yeshua being glorified and ascending to the right hand of the Father. This is why he tells us in verse 21 of, of three, three, Revelation 3, so this is nine chapters before the part you're interpreting. So this is, this is more context to where Yeshua is and when he gets there and why he's there. He overcomes, I, sit, I grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sit down with my Father in his throne. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How is that 14? from Revelation 12, 5 to, to Revelation 5, where because this is before all that, he's not on earth and he's not under the earth, which only leaves between heaven and earth or above heaven if there is such a place. Brother, I'm and trying to tell you, you're, you're chopping up chapter five. It literally goes on to tell you the angel has to, the same, the same thoughts that you're having right now about. Revelation chapter 5, verse 3, where John's saying, where is the person that can open this up? I don't see anyone. And they already said. he's The same the person that's having that thought is the thought you're having. But instead of stopping there, the angel comes to complete that thought and help him understand better. There is someone who can open the book and it seals. He's right over here. It's the lamb. That's correct. It's so, a timing. That's when the seals are able to be opened, right? So it can't happen any other time until the seals have been opened. Or until the seals are ready to be opened. I'm trying to tell you, brother, Yeshua is not chilling in some unknown reality space outside of heaven. He's literally in the room in Revelation chapter 5. They just haven't panned. The camera hasn't panned over to him yet. John has a limited view of what he's seeing. So this is what you're making up out of this story to fit Revelation 12. Or earth or under the earth. No one. So he isn't there at that time. They already said he's not here. And then he shows up. This, this, Okay. Okay. All right. So where, where would you take this then if you're according to this theory? That's when the seals. But, where, but you're saying okay. that Yeshua when, is not in heaven at this time. And when, from 2017, September 23rd to when? September 23rd until, no, it's not from September. It'd be before September 23rd. Jupiter went inside the belly and was there for 41 weeks. So you have to go back 41 weeks from October 13th to find out when Jupiter went into the belly. So, so of which year? Of which year? 2017. So literally in 2014, Yeshua left heaven, went to no, some undisclosed location. What was that? 2017, 41 weeks doesn't bring you back three years. I'm so lost, brother. 
I'm so lost. I'm trying to keep up. I'm just lost. I'm sorry. It's okay. So while Jupiter is in the belly, okay, then our Messiah is sitting there with Jupiter. Now he's not on earth. He's not under the earth and he's not in heaven during those 41 weeks. It is not until those 41 weeks have ended that he's able to, and it goes back to God and to his throne. He's in Jupiter. Where's Jupiter in your analogy, your metaphor? Jupiter is the planet that went into the constellation Virgo that started this whole shooting match because she was pregnant and cried out to be. So wait, so out, right? Yeshua is with literally the planet Jupiter for this time period? I'm assuming so. Is this in a space model or is this in a firmament model? I have no idea and I don't care. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other. Sounds like it would, according to your theory. Okay, well, I don't <laughs> I don't think it makes any difference. Okay. Okay. We just went back to hit this issue because, again, I was finishing up the Genesis uh, 11 issue of trying to show the four years. Okay. And when, and I think I said it before, when the Messiah comes back, he's going to reign for a thousand years, right? He sure does. Yeah. Okay. Genesis 6 3 says what? That my spirit will not contend with men forever, for they are mortal, they are but flesh. Correct. I give them, you know, 120 years. 120 years. Noah lived after the flood how many years? 350 years. So it can't be the lifespan of an individual person. We just went over Genesis 11. Was there anybody in Genesis 11 who lived less than 120 years or even 120 years? Uh, that would be speculation. You never know if someone died, especially Nobody the, the wars being fought in that generation after Noah. Nobody was mentioned who died earlier than that. The we, second person that we have mentioned who dies at 120 is Moses. Yeah, you know, you know, Abraham was 176. Correct. So that's over 120, right? Right. So but our God what I'm saying is, all these kids of Ham and Japheth that are not mentioned, as far as like all the extended no sons and daughters. I have yeah. no doubt about that, but yeah. I'm saying the Bible is listing many people who are over 120 years, right? Okay. Sure. Okay. So it can't be the individual person's lifespan. Genesis 6:3 was given right before the flood, right before he gets on there, right? And the year of the flood was 1656, right? Uh, if you, but you know, again, that's if you're going off of the Masoretic text. Uh, if you go off the Greek Septuagint, then it's a little bit longer. Because Revelation Genesis 5 gets counted out that way either way. The Hebrew year is based on our current Bible. I'm just showing where our current Bible is off by 750 years from, from Genesis 11. Well, if you if you're holding to that standard of the Septuagint and Genesis 11, you'd have to hold to it in Genesis 5 too. So it's not 1600. Holding to it in Genesis 5, but the issue is when we started out saying the 5781 for the Hebrew year, that's based on our current Bible, right? And Genesis 11 happens after they would have started their count. So they did their count back to Adam with their current Bible. I showed where they're off by 750 years. Certainly they're off Genesis 5, okay? There's no dispute about that, but it doesn't change the math. If we take 5781, and then we add the four years where I think the Messiah returns in four years, plus 1,000 years for him coming, you know, reigning for 1,000 years, plus the 750 years that was deleted, and then we subtract from that 1656, for the year of the flood, we get 5879. How many years in Jubilee? Yeshua, Yeshua hasn't been here a thousand years already. 
He hasn't reigned for a thousand years. You just did. You're just included in your calculations. Correct, because children are going to be born during that period of a thousand years. So it's it's fifty. If if according to the calendar you want to use, which is Judaism's, is fifty-seven something, fifty-seven eighty-one, and then you just calculated this up to fifty-eight hundred instead of fifty-seven hundred. Subtracted the year of the flood, sixteen fifty-six. That still is including Yeshua reigning for a thousand years, and that hasn't happened yet. I'm agreeing with you that it hasn't happened yet. But we're talking about Genesis 6-3. I'm going to show you something. Okay? And so since children are still being born during those thousand years, he says I'm not in Genesis 6-3, I'm not contending with man for more than 120 years. And we've shown that it can't be an individual person's lifespan because all those people have been above that. Right. Is it possible that maybe he was just talking about between the time he made that statement and when the flood would happen? Is it possible? Yeah, it's always possible. But watch this. If we take 58, 79, how many years are in Jubilee? You talking about the seven-year Jubilee or the 50-year Jubilee? or 49 years. Okay. okay. So divide that number by 49, and you would get 119.97959. One more year would violate that. Where are you going with that number? That's, that's all I'm going with. Genesis what does 6, that mean? What does that number mean, though? For 120 years, we just did the math, and that math is also going to validate that the Messiah should be returning in four years, and then we'll start the millennial reign. Okay. Okay, I see. Okay. That, uh, that last sentence is, what I guess, what I was waiting for to tie it together. So, and, and that's, of course, based off of the last hour and 10 minutes of discussion leading up to your understanding of Revelation 12. Okay, Correct. makes sense now. Makes sense. So let me ask you the big question, since this is the title of the show tonight. What, uh, what does any of this have to do with the actual group of people you believe are gathered before the resurrection and take part in what's called a second exodus? The biggest issue, and the reason I talk about this, is not for the thing of saying, oh, wow, certain a date, because, again, an angel is going to come get us. The issue is to be careful on Passover, Do not, because there are Torah commands for an exodus. So some of the Torah commands include stay awake during the night of Passover because you want to. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, brother. I got to slow you down. I feel like I asked you a specific question. You asked why I talk about this. No, no. I asked you. Okay, so let me let me let me rephrase the question. Um, You've already told me you believe that a group of believers, only Mm -hmm. only the group of believers that are aware of a second exodus are going to be taken to Egypt. And then you just said that they're going to be taken, they're going to be picked up by angels. Is that correct? An angel's coming to get them. Okay, okay. okay. I'm still semantics, right? Okay. All right, tomato, tomato. So those, that group of believers that are picked up by angels, are they, where are they going to be taken to? And Egypt. what is that? What? Egypt, to start with. I thought we were already talking about the group of believers gathered already to Egypt and, and there be picked up by angels. But you're saying no. You're saying it starts at a Passover, a future Passover. An angel will come get us during the night sometime and guide us to Egypt. And then once we're in Egypt, I'm just letting that slide for now. But once we're in Egypt, what happens then? We will leave Egypt on the second Passover. So we're only there for about 30 days. And Deuteronomy 28, 68 says they'll try to sell us as slaves. But again, Nobody will take us because we're basically like cursed because the Nile River dries up and any other plagues have happened. And then we're going to be going to Sinai. And then we're just repeating Torah. What is going to happen at Sinai? (laughs) 
we rebuild the tabernacle, Acts 15. For who? Well, during we will have a most well, I assume, but I don't know whether the two witnesses are are correlated to that. But again, we will have a person who is going to have the place of a Moses and a person who's going to have a place of an Aaron, and we're going to rebuild the tabernacle. And we have from Torah on when that is consecrated and when we leave Sinai to go through the path. What do you what do you think? Yahweh, if in your theory, what do you think Yahweh is going to do to Saudi Arabia when they try to shoot you as you try to go to Mount Sinai? I don't believe it's in Saudi Arabia, but it doesn't. Okay. I don't care where it is. If it is in Saudi Arabia, fine. I don't care. Because, you know, they're literally guarding it with their military right now. They have a okay. fence around it. You okay. I'm just wondering. No, no, I'm just wondering. So their military means nothing to the creator. No, I get it. Yeah, I get it. He's he's creator. Um, but but in your theory, so we go to Mount Sinai, we build another tabernacle. So that we can do what? Start sacrifices. Okay. And and you think that all this is prophesied in Scripture, even though it's not literally said, but from the things that are that you've pointed out tonight, you think that that's where it's leading to, because it's. And I'm guessing I, you go off of Jeremiah seven at some point. I think we're going to repeat Torah the whole way. I think we're going to go right through. I don't think obviously we'll have a bad report because that gave him forty years. We're going to do it in a very abbreviated period of time. What happens but, after that, though, brother? What, what's going on? Again, as soon as we come back from Iraq, cross the Jordan River, stop, put up the pillar that we're required to by Torah. When did we go to Iraq? Back. I thought we're, angels were taking us directly to Egypt. They're guiding us to Egypt. We're leaving Egypt, just like they did the first Exodus. So if I'm in the North America hemisphere, and I, I'm going to be guided by... By angels to Iraq first and then no, come to Egypt. Okay, I'm not following, brother. The path. So here's what here's what I'm trying to get to. The, the end of your story, the end of your thesis for the second Exodus. What happens? Yeshua returns in four years, and then he what we're resurrected at that point. The first those in the first resurrection are, are resurrected ten days after he returns on day of atonement. Yeah, that's not at all what scripture says. But let me ask you this, brother. What what is going on with the people that you just said go to Egypt and then go to Mount Sinai and rebuild a tabernacle? What happens to them? They go to the kingdom. What, how? How do they go to the kingdom? How do they go to the kingdom and where is the kingdom? The kingdom at that point in time will be the Ezekiel 48 land division. You, you know that's literally described as in the New Jerusalem, right? It's got the tree of life and the water of life and everything. And the dimensions from heaven that we're given are much larger than that, correct? Yeah, literally expands, expands from the Euphrates to the Nile. Yeah. we have. It's not the Nile. It's not the Nile. It literally says in Genesis 15, it's the Nile. No, you have to study it out more. When you've studied it out more, you'll learn it's actually not the Nile. I just read it in Isaiah 27, 12, and 13. It's, <laughs> okay. I, I don't want, I certainly am not going to be able to go through that. But it's not the Nile, and it's not the brook of Egypt that's in the Sinai either. There's a third location, a much simpler location, but that will be the, the, the border of Gad as we go back. And it'll go all the way up to the tribe of Dan, which will be... It's not 1,500 square miles. It's not even 1,700 square miles like you alluded earlier. Correct. That's, that's a much smaller space. Again, we have three land divisions in life. We have the first Exodus and their land division. We have the second Exodus and they have their land division from Ezekiel 48. We have the third land division, which is after the second resurrection. And that is the much larger issue of heaven coming down to earth. 
which will include make you know much. So, so in Luke 17, when the people that are not accepted into the kingdom, and Yeshua tells them that they will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. When do you think that that takes place? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will not come until second resurrection. Yeah, that's that's where we greatly disagree because Hebrews 11, 39 through 40 directly tells us that all the patriarchs mentioned in Hebrews 11, including Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will be perfected at the same time with the person writing the book of Hebrews in that moment, which is after the ascension of Yeshua, which is a statement to all believers trying to understand the covenant how they're getting resurrected through the priesthood of Yeshua. This is why Yeshua in Luke 17 will tell them, the people that will be thrown into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth outside the kingdom, that they will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom reclining and relaxing, but they themselves will be thrown out because they're deemed wicked. This is the goats that are judged before Yeshua and thrown out of the kingdom because the kingdom's on the ground, brother. Aren't and the resurrected who take part on the last trumpet that I just explained on the day of the Lord, they're brought in together with everyone from Adam all the way to the return of Yeshua on the day of the Lord. That last trumpet resurrects the dead in Christ and those who are alive and remain together. Not for the first resurrection. The first resurrection from Revelation 20 is absolutely crystal clear of who comes in. It's crystal clear. You're wanting to say it's going to be yeah. all these people, but it's crystal clear that it's not. Okay. So apparently Isaiah 12... Leviticus 18, Genesis 17, Isaiah 27, Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38, Isaiah 66, Matthew 24, Luke 17, 1 Thessalonians 14, 4, 1 Corinthians 15, all should have given a qualifier that you got to be beheaded to take part in the first resurrection. And in yours, we have to get rid of Deuteronomy. We probably have to get rid of numbers. The Deuteronomy so passage you mentioned does not even so talk we about have to get that. get rid of Deuteronomy 30 because those would violate the issue that you have on us having children. We have to get rid of Ezekiel 14 where it says we bring our children with us. You're not going to do that during the first resurrection. So we have to get rid of Ezekiel 14. We got to get rid of Ezekiel 48 land division. So let's get rid of the no, Ezekiel. No, you don't. Cause it's literally told you in Ezekiel 47 verses 12, that the river of life and the trees of life are inside those lands. So the land divisions that you're trying to explain is in the premise that it's not inside the kingdom that comes down through the firmament. But that's, that's, this is what I'm trying to say. This is what happens when we take verses greatly out of their context to make up, New thesis. New, You're, new you and I are both saying the same thing. Would say and, and completely agree with that statement. I think you've taken things vastly out of context, and you think I have. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, I mean, this is this is how we disagree. So I, we'll have to leave it up to the viewers to decide. We've run a little long. I want to thank you because you have endured through physical pain to be here, guys. If you if you see Mark moving around a little bit, that's because he's trying to get comfortable. He's literally in physical pain tonight. Okay, um, so just uh, give him some grace on that. Um, uh, but brother, more than anything, I do want to appreciate you coming on to talk with me about this no um, because you knew that we disagreed on this. And there's other people that I've invited on to talk about this topic and they just won't because um, for whatever reason, they, you know, maybe they don't want to stand by their interpretation, but that's fine. But you did and you do stand by your interpretation. So I give you respect for that, even, well, though, again, even though I disagree with your interpretation. You're being correct. I'm just saying things fit, but I can't say that's correct until the Antichrist is revealed. So. I'm just throwing out something that I say, wow, this, this is kind of interesting to watch. It has but been interesting. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I do. Um, we'll, we'll end the, we've got a couple of questions, actually, uh, if you still want to stick around. 
Yeah, let me stand up for a second and then, yeah. <laughs> sure, guys. If you have any, uh, we'll just take maybe two questions tonight because it's already running a little late and uh, Mark's in physical pain. So two, two questions in the in the chat, put them in all capitalization um, so that my admins and the moderators can see that, please. And then we'll we'll see. I will pose the questions to, to Mark and I and see if we can have an answer for you. So we appreciate everybody um, joining us tonight. Looks like, Mark, looks like we got 156 people watching. So this is this is a good show. Uh, a lot of folks are interested in this topic. They really are. All right. If you have questions, okay, there. there's a little bit of a delay, Mark, as far as people in the chat hearing us. So they're formulating their questions now. Um, let's try to keep the questions in pertaining to the topic tonight as far as the second exodus. So we're, we're not going to take any uh, creation model questions tonight. Um, Mark has made his stance clear on that, I think. No. I just, I, I don't care which way it is. When the Messiah tells me it's one way, I say, that sounds great. <laughs> okay. Okay, guys. If you have any questions about the topic tonight of the second access, please put them in all caps. Otherwise, we will say goodnight and uh, wish everybody um, a great day of rest if you're celebrating Day of Atonement today. Okay, here comes some questions, brother. Richard Marriott is asking, what if I pass away before the people get beheaded? Could I still make the first resurrection? I think this is directed towards you, Mark. No. If you if you pass away before we would leave for Exodus, then absolutely. But if you pass away during the time from um, when we leave for Exodus and before the first, you know, that timing of the trumpets ending for the first resurrection, that's when you would start to, to be beheaded. No, I don't think you make it. Okay. Uh, I think Richard Marriott, I think, you know, I, this channel, we've expressed very different views on that. That's Mark's uh, answer to that. Um, Mark, I just want to encourage you, brother. D love is saying to let you know that we're praying for your comfort. <laughs> the longest I've sat down before I was telling him before we started, the longest I've sat down before this is five minutes. So <laughs> yeah, there's people praying for you in the audience, brother. Um, Demi Moore is asking uh, what scripture says we build the temple. Um, Ezekiel 40 through 43. And I don't think it mentions us doing it, but I don't see who else would do it because we've already mentioned at that point in time, us being in the kingdom um, dealing with the land division. Certainly we would be doing it on Exodus. As you look through Acts 15, where it says that the tabernacle will be, it actually says the tent of David. David didn't have a temple. David had tabernacle. So um, that would be us. But that's that's all I have on that. Okay, that's Mark's answer on that demo. I hope that's a good one for you. Um, all right, looks like one last question, guys. I'm gonna take one last question for Mark's sake. Uh, in your okay, so I think what this person is trying to ask um, is: during the millennial reign, do resurrected saints live with those of us who go in the second Exodus? That's an incredible question. And um, my opinion, and this is just my opinion, because as I look at numbers one and then I look at numbers 26 and I also look at numbers four where they did the census, um, there's such a great disparity. And I believe that the, the, those who are on the first axis will be the same exact number on the second axis. So 603,550 fighting men and 22,000 Levites from numbers four. Um, then I look at the numbers for the second census in Numbers 26, and those numbers are vastly different. It, 
still around 600,000 people, but some tribes like Simeon are decimated. Some tribes like Manasseh grow by over 60%. We're not, Manasseh's not going to grow by 60% in a three and a half year period. So I, as I look at it, when you come in the first resurrection, you will then go into a tribe. Now, again, that's a great thing because it means those on, on the Exodus will actually get to see what a resurrected body actually looks like. So I think they will actually live with us generally, and I mean generally in our tribes. But from the Ezekiel 48 land division, there is land there for the Levites, the priest, and a city. And so, and the reason for that, if you look at through it and you're looking at Torah, because again, we still have, there are the cities of the, for the Levites that will still be done in our land. Um, they will still have that. But when they reach the age of 25, they can start apprenticing at the temple. And when they reach the age of 30, between 30 and 50, they actually work the temple. Well, why would they live up in the tribe of um, Dan if that's where they, you know, the Levite is coming from or the priest is coming from? I think they would come down to that Levite place or the, the area for the priest or because the those in the first resurrection are going to rule with the Messiah. So I think they would go there when that time is up. Now, that's my opinion on it. And so I think they would be in our tribe when they are not otherwise having to do work. But when they're doing their work, when they're going to be around the Messiah, then they would go to that specific land that is around the temple in Jerusalem so they can actually do that. Okay. Um, guys, we appreciate your questions. That's all we're going to do for tonight. And uh, Mark has given you his, his ideas and thoughts on, on how he sees the scriptures on this topic. And uh, we would just want to uh, continue to pray for you, Mark, that you would you know get better in your physical pain. And thank you for coming on tonight. We only pray for God's will. If, if I'm to be punished, I'm to be punished. If I'm to be cursed, I'm to be cursed. You know, we pray for his will. And when he wills me to get better, I will get better. <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you for joining me tonight. And guys, thank you for being here in the chat. And uh, we will hope to see you. I think my wife, mm, I'm not sure if my wife's joining me tomorrow night. I'm not sure. <laughs> I have to talk to her some more about that. But uh, guys, check us out tomorrow night for a milk and meat episode. And we hope you have a wonderful night tonight. We'll see everyone uh, tomorrow. Thank you.